Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. My name is Andrew Beam. And I'm Corey Dempsey. So we're recording an addendum to this episode because we're going to break it into two parts. As we want to do while we were recording it, realize it was a little bit too long, so we're going to separate it to make it more easily digestible. But it's an important conversation because we're talking about the top five hip-hop songs of 1994. And we're going to be joined by an incredibly special guest, Steve Tyson, who goes by the stage name Elect. And what's really exciting about having him on is it's right before he's about to be releasing some new music next month and a single today, actually. Corey, why don't you tell us a little about it? Yeah, so we've been sitting on this episode for a while now because we knew that Steve had written and produced this new record of his. The record is called Intellectual Property, and it's going to be dropping on February 13th. And his lead single, Degrees, is available right now via his Instagram page at elect217. And today it'll be available on all the streaming platforms, Spotify, Spotify, Tidal, all of that good stuff. And when his album does drop, you are going to be able to buy it uh, at elect.bandcamp.com. And so right now we're going to drop you into that episode, that conversation on the top five songs of 1994. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey. And I'm Andrew Beam. This week, we're going to be giving you the first episode in a series on the history of hip-hop. For the first episode, we're going to be exploring the top five songs of 1994. So, 94. Why that one specifically? Well, and actually, you know, just before we were discussing this, 94 is one of the most important years in hip-hop history. And I know Steve who is going to be joining us. Um, he has a different opinion, but for me at least, 1994 is the most important year and one of the best years in hip-hop history. Yeah, so as Corey kind of alluded to, we're being joined by our good friend Steve Tyson, and uh, to tell you about him, I'm just going to read you the bio he sent us because I didn't write this. <laughs> I, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that as a takedown it's more I like right this either. well there we are so <laughs> steve tyson who also goes by his hip-hop alias elect is a musician educator and founder of just listen entertainment llc a multimedia arts company that promotes critical thinking and freedom of artistic expression through hip-hop culture in philadelphia <laughs> with over God one damn. <laughs> I, you know when we just discussed whether i was going to say philly or that but no i'm just fucking reading it and i'm like wait this sounds and now weird. it sounds weird <laughs> Uh, with over 1 million streams across digital streaming platforms, Elect has performed at legendary venues, including the Apollo Theater and World Cafe Live. He has written and produced music for Star Talk Radio on Sirius XM, and he has been featured as a guest on Sway in the Morning, hosted by Sway Calloway. And in, uh, in addition to his music, Elect has a strong passion for education and activism. He's an adjunct professor at, at, professor at Arcadia University, where he's pursuing an, an EDD in educational leadership and program director at City Year Philadelphia, or Philly. Indeed, Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop saying Philadelphia from here on out. <laughs> so that is quite the resume, and I think that makes it apparent why Steve is the perfect person to join us on this episode. Steve, what's going on? <laughs> Not too much, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Um, so this week, what we are going to be drinking is we are going to be drinking the Triple Dry Hopped Break the Bank. Um, it is a collaboration between Magnify Brewing and Barrier uh, Brewing Company. 
It is an eight and a half percent Imperial IPA. Um, Which is fine for like eight o'clock. Yeah. Usually we're drinking at like noon. Yeah, this this is this is more appropriate ABV for this time of night, which is great. Yeah, scheduling worked out. Yeah, and I'd say the connection here is a main theme of hip hop music, and some of the songs we're going to be playing is getting money. So, break the bank seems to be an apt beer to be drinking this time around. Um, shall we get started? I mean, are we just not going to mention what was the runner up? Oh, you're right. The runner up I was. Don't think that's fair. Triple Dry Hopped Up, Up, and Away, which was a co- a collaboration between Magnify and Sand City. Um, smoking which, Weed, another one. Which, Good okay. thing in all of our songs today. And I'm going to apologize for, for my ignorance on this, but is Up, Up, and Away like a common phrase to like talk about getting high or describe being high? Because I, I don't know if I've been around people or have seen it done. I don't think so. Maybe Superman fans. <laughs> From like, you know, like the 50s. <laughs> they say, let's get up, up, and away. <laughs> the, ones, the ones that grew up to smoke weed. <laughs> All right, let's get started, fellas. So this time around, we're doing something a little different. I have actually done zero research whatsoever. Well, all right, maybe like a couple of record or a couple of a uh, couple of articles that I read like an hour before we did this. But this time, I have not prepared a list. I am being, I guess, we would say the audience in this, and I'm just going to hit them with really uninformed questions every now and again. <laughs> so, um, and from my understanding, this will also be the first time that we have had neither of you guys know each other's lists essentially right right we yeah. haven't had that before Corey no, and i Corey and i have come in and we've known each other's lists <laughs> so this could go one or two ways and i'm sure they're obvious one they're in total agreement two they're completely diametrically opposite of each other and then that's when we actually have fun. Otherwise, this will just be really boring. Everyone's in agreement, and <laughs> I'll just be here to try and start shit. Well, that's that's true, but I also think it's going to be pretty difficult for me to like really disagree with anything that's that Steve puts on the thinking. list. Like it's a fucking cop out. I don't know <laughs> that. Shit. No, no right like, what's wild it, though it, is that there are so many classics throughout this year. Like Corey has an argument for this being hip hop's best year. There are a lot of arguments for a lot of years, but. Right. 94 is damn sure well so that's the thing too is that like i'd always heard from people like that are big hip-hop heads that like oh the 90s the 90s um i literally have one friend that will almost never listen to current hip-hop and just only listens to 90s stuff and that's so, a mistake but the 90s were really fucking good <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, yeah, yeah and i'm not saying i'm in disagreement with that but i guess what i wanted to hear from your perspective since you kind of drove the train on this was why 94 specifically so i think that 94 has a couple of important things now you know as we mentioned before steve you know your favorite year is 88 and my favorite year is 94 so part of its personal preference you know mine comes when 94 is when I was seven years old you know 88 I was one I had no idea what music was let alone hip-hop music so you know for me 94 comes at an important time and I think that in 1994 there's a couple things that happened I think that 
a lot of really classic artists, um, artists that have been in the game for a long time are operating at the peak of their powers and are releasing albums that year. Specifically, Gangstar released Hard to Earn this year, and that is a massive, massive album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's probably their second best album. Moment of Truth is my personal favorite, mm-hmm. but, I mean, Hard to Earn is a very close second to that. An mm-hmm. incredible album. Um, Scarface, who was working with the Ghetto Boys the whole time and doing really great stuff with them, he releases his first uh, solo album, I believe it's his first, um, yeah. called Diary. Yeah. And Beastie Boys as well, they release Ill Communication, what I think is their best album. Um, so you have a lot of artists that have been around for a very long time operating at you know their apex, the best they've ever been. And that's happening in 1994, which is, which is huge. The second thing that happens is I think the hip-hop landscape starts to expand um, beyond just L.A., beyond just New York, it's not just a coastal thing anymore. And you start to get some really great artists from other parts of the country, lesser known parts of the country, starting to release music. So, you know, Outkast released their debut album this year, Southern Playalistic. Um, and that really put the South on the map, specifically Atlanta. Um, you have UGK, bon- UGK um, putting Houston, Texas on the map in a huge, huge way. Um, their debut album was this year, uh, Super Tight is what it's called, I believe. Um, check me on that, but I, I believe that's what it's called. And then uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony released their debut album, a, a group from Cleveland. So you start to get it something where it's not just this coastal war. And then you also have new artists from those you know, mainstays, specifically New York this year, releasing seminal albums, artists who are going to be a huge part of the hip-hop landscape for years to come. So Nas's Illmatic and Notorious B.I.G.'s Ready to Die also gets report uh, released this year. So there's just a huge amount of incredible music coming out, both new and old, which makes this a pretty seminal year. Steve, uh, what do you think? Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, you pretty much covered a lot of the, <laughs> if not all of the classics of that year. Um, or at least as far as albums are concerned. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Gangstar was... At basically it's like you know Jordan in 91 like you know they're getting their first chips like you know around this time frame uh, you got a lot of you know it feels like you know to keep with the basketball comparisons you know it feels a bit like the the 03 draft or like LeBron and D-Wade and all this whatever Mellow you got, coming like, in yeah, yeah you know um, with Nas and Biggie and all these folks coming into the game you got Bone Thugs you know holding it down for the Midwest you got UGK for Houston um I mean, and and then thinking about too, like there's ninety four is at the cusp of even No Limit and Master P and all, and that like you know they might not have been you know charting in you know nationwide. But yeah, they're not household, but they're 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 is coming still in, yeah. Critical, and so they like like just like I said before, you have a damn sure you damn sure have a good argument for ninety four being hip hop's most important year, so. Dude, the, the cover, what was it? Was it The Ghetto's Trying to Kill Me by Master P, right? Oh, that album cover is the best album cover of <laughs> that all is, time. I, I saw, yeah, that is, <laughs> the article I was reading was about the, like how album covers used to be so literal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just uh, that guy peeking in the window. Yep. And The Ghetto was literally trying to kill him. Um, no, I mean, so yeah, Master P did release an album. No Limit wasn't really a thing yet, but they were coming in. Um, it was starting to be a thing. 
Um, so, you know, we, we went back and we revisited a lot of these records. What was that? What was that like for you, Steve? <laughs> it, it was great. I mean, it gave me my playlist for the summer. <laughs> Real talk. Um, like I, 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 so in, in doing this, I put together around 35 songs. Um, I whittled that down to 30. And then from there started like, and I had to do it with a playlist is the only way I could really conceivably do it the right way. Um, and so I went in the title and just started making a playlist and put, you know, my 30 favorite songs from 1994. Before that, I had to really make sure all the songs are from 94. So like, I was thinking, I was like, Wu-Tang, I was like, nope, 93. And I was like, Snoop Doggy, nope, 93. <laughs> I was like, damn, like, all right. like 93 is also uh, an amazing like, year. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. And so it was like, all right, well, I know Illmatic in 94. I know Rainy to Dies in 94. I was like, so I started there and just started Googling all the, just everything I was in 94. I was like, all right, cool. Like from this, let me start making the playlist. And then I started reordering and reorganizing songs. And I was still shuffling songs on my drive up here. Like, <laughs> so um, it, 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 you know, I think that it's, it's a year that they're, no matter who is choosing their top five, um, anybody could have a strong argument for whatever five songs they put in the list. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the thing. So that's what really stood out to me is, you know, I revisited all these albums and I too had a list of 35 and I was just like, how the fuck am I going to whittle this down to five? Like, (laughs) I'm going to feel so bad. And so, you know, I started imposing some rules on myself. I was like, all right, only one artist per, I'm only going to choose one song per artist slash album because otherwise I'm going to be like arguing over, you know, which Biggie song. And oh, like, I was arguing with myself. Exactly. That's why I, was, I was driving up here, four hour drive, <laughs> arguing with myself, like opening my phone was and then out, shuffling the playlist. Was this around. out loud or was it just sort of like mentally? Yeah, partially both. Okay. You know? right. in, inside my head. And then just trying to really out loud. I'm like, damn it. No, because uh, <laughs> there's nobody else in the car but me. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was doing the same thing. Like a week ago, I... I texted you about the argument I was having myself about ready to die. Like, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to pick this song? I can't, I can't not pick this song. Like, what right. am I supposed to do? So wait, is this the hardest that it's come down to making a list for you so far? I think so. Um, you know, there was, I, I, I felt really good about three the whole time. I knew three of them. I didn't know which song it was going to be from the album, but there was three albums. I knew I had to represent mm-hmm. them. I knew I wanted him on there. Mm-hmm. Those last two spots is what really, really pained me because I was like, there are like 10 in legitimate conte- contention yeah. here that I really want to put in. And I was like, how am I going to leave these out? So it was it was very it was very tough. It was yeah. a very tough process. It really was. I didn't put as many rules on myself. That's why, my, <laughs> again, my, my fight was so ridiculous. But I, I did try to make sure that, you know, at the very least, a classic from a classic album was represented and then there are albums even in just this year that you can make the arguments as far as it being hip-hop's greatest album and it's just it, it's it, there's so much within um this i, I don't want to see it as a challenge just because there's you know a billion challenges going on but within <laughs> it, but you, but i was challenged in this task to put together five it's songs a, it's so. a fun type of challenge oh yeah it's great it's great <laughs> So with that, I mean, I think we have to have this discussion. You can't talk about hip hop 1994 without having it. It's the Illmatic versus Ready to Die debate. You know, those are the two seminal albums from that year. There's a ton of great music. 
that is unquestioned, but I think two albums really stand above the rest from that time, and I think it's Illmatic and Ready to Die. So, you know, I want to hear, what are, what are your thoughts on those albums? Do you have a preference? Yeah. Both of those albums' lyrics are chiseled in stone. So, I, it, it feels like you have the opportunity of walking through ancient Kemet, or as most folks know as Egypt, and looking at the walls and just seeing um, a, something that it almost like it feels like you weren't supposed to see or hear. Because you have insight into, so for Illmatic, a uh, 19-year-old Nas, uh, who is grippingly telling his reality that can also be any other person living in Queensbridge reality at that time. And it's his unique story, but there are so many folks who have a similar story to tell, and the way he did it still tells folks stories to this day um, and connects with them. And then Ready to Die, it's the same thing, but the, the, the tweak in it is in its delivery because you also have to think about how life and culture and family and influence plays into what people end up creating. So you have Nas and his father's a jazz musician, um, Oludara, and and his, you know, and he's living, you know, his reality and it's a similar experience to what Big is living at at the same time. Um, and but Big's in Brooklyn, just same island. Bed versus <laughs> Queensbridge. Just different yeah. borough. And <laughs> and you have a um but big, you know, he, he's, you know, it comes from a Jamaican family. And, you know, just like you, you hear some of that cadence and some of that delivery and, and, and that humor um, it, through the pain um, that comes, you know, from that culture, too. And so there are things that make each album uh, have their highlights and their specific flavors that neither one could emulate if they tried to do, you know, the others. So it, and, and you're getting a unfiltered. Um, slightly glossed, uh, but completely real, um, you know, insight and, and, and stepping into somebody's, you know, life and world. And it, it feels like these are like people's diaries that you shouldn't be reading, but yet they wrote their diary in such a way that the whole world needs to know about it. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I think something that you just mentioned is actually, it speaks to one of my preferences here and I do prefer ready to die. I'm going to say that up front. I think mm -hmm. that in this debate, ready to die is my favorite album from 1994. Mm -hmm. I think that Illmatic is beyond reproach. It mm -hmm. is an absolute classic album in any other year. It's probably the best album, mm -hmm. but you know, ready to die for me holds a special place. And, you know, I was trying to think about it and what makes ready to die better because Honestly, on a technical and lyrical level, I'd probably say Illmatic is slightly better. But even still, Notorious B.I.G., you know, I think means a little bit more to me. And I think something you were hitting on speaks to that. And, 
you know, I decided to use a quote from Shea Serrano. He wrote this in the Rap Year book because I could never say awesome it. Book. Yeah, I could never say it as well as he did, but it, it captures pretty much exactly what I was thinking about and what it, it identified exactly what made Biggie stand apart or just put him slightly above Nas for me at least. And he said, Nas has mostly always been a selfish genius. He didn't share it with you. He just showed it to you. He brought you inside his head to show you that he was a superhero. Biggie veered in the opposite direction. He opened your skull up and showed you that you weren't a superhero and that he wasn't either and that maybe nobody was, really. Nas was popular. Biggie was a populist. He brought you to him and then he took you both into the cosmos. And that's just the difference is I think Biggie shared it with you. Nas shows it to you. And you can feel a bit of shared experience with Biggie. Not obviously in... I've never lived anything that Biggie's lived, but you always know what he's talking about. Mm. Nas, you're like, this is a genius. He's reporting on these things. These things are wonderful, but you never really feel a part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that the outcome is ultimately what I agree with, but I don't know about the means. Because I think that the reason why Shay wrote that in the way that they and, and everybody hears things in the way that they ultimately you know interpret it but and, and for everybody it's different but for me when i hear that quote i think that the reason why that is the uh emotion or the or the the reaction to that big versus nas or ready to versus somatic is because of the way in which big com- conveyed the same things that nas was conveying and it's not that I, I don't think of it as Nas as um, you know, kind of just I guess showing you and then big deconstructing it and, and and breaking it down. I think that how he rapped broke it down so that you saw behind the curtain. But the way in which Nas rapped, like he's still showing you behind the curtain and and, and showing you that there is no curtain. But his performance of it is like, oh shit, this is an MC. And with Big, it's like, oh shit, this is an MC. But it feels like this MC is sitting on my couch telling me this story. Right. Rather there's than Nazis some more relatable, on stage just sort of telling me this. Right. And there's, because, the, and it's something you said before, you know, his Jamaican background, the family piece, because there's so much humor to what Biggie's rapping about, mm-hmm. that humor breaks down some of that wall and makes you able to connect a little bit better Mm -hmm. because Nas seems like he is a genius and he's almost like kind of above but Mm -hmm. you know yeah you're like the the way you're believe this is a 19 year old exactly and but the way you're saying it it's like Big's just a guy on the couch so you can relate to it better and I I think that's what it's getting at is like you can always understand what Big's saying no matter whether you really understand it but Mm -hmm. you always get it Mm -hmm. and it's it's one of those weird things Um, Mm -hmm. Big was only 22 yeah I mean, they were both so young. It's incredible. <laughs> um, there was another article I, I, I read uh, from The Atlantic, though, that I thought was kind of interesting. And it just and, and it remarked on Nas and just sort of his career and just in terms of Illmatic itself. And he just said, if, if these performances have highlighted Illmatic's timelessness, they've also reasserted the consensus that Nas has yet to surpass his debut. I mean, so, I mean, hmm. part of that, I wonder if you agree. But the other thing that I that I'm that I'm curious about is just sort of the way that you guys kind of talk about his style, where he's showing it to you as opposed to like making you feel it. 
Um, do you think that's what could possibly, if you think this is the case, is that what's holding you back? So, you know, for me, I don't think Nas has ever surpassed Illmatic. I also don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I mean, <laughs> how could you? It is one of the classic albums. I do think that, you know, not even bringing Illmatic into it, I honestly don't think Nas made a full good record until, shoot, what's the one with the blue cover on it? Stillmatic? Oh, no, you mean no. Godson. Godson. I think Godson was the first full album that was great all the way through since Illmatic. I think each one in between had some songs and they mm -hmm. were brilliant, mm -hmm. but Godson was the first full yes. work that was really great. Yes. And I don't think it passed Illmatic because Street's how Disciple could you? Is fucking phenomenal. Street's Disciple is amazing. Fucking phenomenal. And it's it's like so beam. Good. Add that shit. So like I said, <laughs> lack of research on this, and like because now it's like one of those things where I kind of I wish I would have been able to have like gone all through the Nas you know catalog, and then asked the question with at least some knowledge of. Was it a mistake to call it Stillmatic when maybe it probably just didn't rise at a level of Illmatic? I mean, I mean, it was a soft. It, it was a soft sequel. <laughs> but it did have ether. It did have ether, which and it had one mic. One mic is brilliant. So it's two songs. And it had Second Childhood. It had a lot of good songs, but it was a double album. Stillmatic wasn't. It wasn't? No, Street Disciple was a Okay, album. okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Stillmatic had some tracks for sure. Ether, you know, Beam, we were talking about Hit Em Up earlier. Yeah, right. Ether is the only one in the conversation for most incendiary diss track of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> oh. Ice Cube, No oh. Vaseline. Well, uh, no, Vaseline. no Vaseline. I really like Common, The Bitch in You. Eh. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> A song called No Vaseline and knowing it's a diss song, <laughs> like the subtlety in that is just zero severely subtlety. lacking. Well, you know, that's the subtlety of Tupac. Also, with, that's on. why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker, <laughs> as the first line. No, the very, and he wasn't even rapping. He no was, subtlety, just <laughs> yelling he, it. He, he, he kind of sounds. He just press record and he, he just needed to get that off his Yeah, chest. no, it kind of <laughs> sounded like he was in the middle of a rant and someone pressed record. <laughs> Fuck your bitch. Pac was angry. All right. Well, let's get into the top five. And, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to take some breaks. You'll you'll kind of hear it come in and come out because we can't play the songs due to copyright issue. But we want to listen to them. Um, so we're going to introduce some things. We don't care things. you can listen yeah, to yeah. them. Fuck Sorry all of you. you. You're going to get to hear us rap, though, which in Steve's case is really exciting because he is a rapper. In my case, it's going to be more embarrassing. But you get to listen anyway. Um, and you can laugh at me. And that's that's fun, too. I think that's actually better. Yeah. That's I the, think everyone's making out. That's like, more fun. I mean, please still go and listen to the tracks. But you're also going to get to hear Corey rap it. And I don't know. That's free. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get into this uh, right now. Now, I think, is the moment where you guys go to battle. Indeed. Um, I, see, I don't know why I'm hyping it up like this. Because we don't, because the, the other ones have never been like this, but. I think it's because I don't have a, uh, I don't have a list myself and I have no skin in the game that <laughs> now I just want to watch two people bicker about it and I can just sit back and, 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 and just enjoy myself. Throw fuel on the fire. 
Or that's it. Well, we have talked about how this is kind of like going to be like the versus series on <laughs> online. And this is like a battle where like two DJs, except we didn't make these make these songs. <laughs> yeah, these, we just chose none them. of these are great. We were children. Indeed, we were seven. <laughs> I was seven. I was nine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, my number five, the number five song from 1994 is the Crooklyn Dodgers, Crooklyn from. Crooklyn Volume 1, music from the motion picture. And I'm going to play that now. All right. So that was Crooklyn by the Crooklyn Dodgers. Thoughts? Excellent song. That fucking bass line is so good. Yeah. Excellent yeah, song. Bass line I mean, super tight. It's something that, you know, it's it's perfect for the summertime. You're cruising. Uh, it, 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 it's a song you could play in the house if you're cleaning, like, on a Sunday morning. It's the, it, You can play it, you know, while you're riding on a Saturday night, you know, cruising on your way to the club. Like, it's, it's, it's a song for any time. Like, I love it. But it felt like it has this, like, sinister sort of, like... Mm-hmm. I don't know, like that. It was. It felt dark, but it wasn't. Like it's, it's like baseline. what they're rapping about. Yeah, dude. The baseline oh. and and some of the and Which some of the lyrics for it. sure. So, oh, yeah. you know, I do want to talk a little bit about the Crooklyn Dodgers, and you know, I ha- yeah, I was wondering about them because it's what they're not the same thing each time. Right. So the Crooklyn Dodgers are a hip hop supergroup. Um, they've been been brought together three separate times on three separate occasions. Each time it's the same sort of makeup. It's a DJ slash producer and then three rappers, all from Brooklyn. But each iteration has been different. So um, the most recent iteration was Memphis Bleak, Most Def, and Gene Gray um, with Ninth Wonder as the producer. That most recent iteration was kind of completely separate from what was the original thing. So the original thing was Spike Lee got the Kirkland Dodgers together. Um, to make a song for his movies, the first of which was Crooklyn, and then the second of which, released in 95, was Clockers. So in 95, he brought together Chub Rock, OC, and Jeru the Damage as the rappers, uh, MCs, and DJ Premier was the producer for that. The 94 one, this one, features Special Ed, Buckshot, and Master Ace rapping over a beat produced by Ali Shaheed Muhammad and Q-Tip of A Tribe Called Quest. So you probably heard that reference in there. Um, And it featured an assist from Evil D of Black Moon. And I think, you know, you guys both hit on really important things about this song is, you know, like I said, they, they were brought together. Specifically, this one was meant to accompany the film Crooklyn by... Uh, Spike Lee and so like all Spike Lee movies it has to do with New York City and you know talking about the state of affairs in New York City at the time so I think that reflects some of the kind of more sinister vibes that you hear in the song with the baseline in the production and some of the lyricals um, but then there's also a really feel-good summer aspect to it definitely um, does. And which is so weird yeah yeah and it's it's great that they can accomplish both in the song And I think what that has to do with is I think the rappers were really trying to achieve something nostalgic because the movie took place in 1973 in the summer. So it includes a lot of pop culture references to that time and that era. And, 
you know, it was also meant as a song to just big up Brooklyn as this is the place that, the, that we live and that we represent. So there's a lot of that aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So just knowing in sort of the tonal setting of it was just completely intentional for just causing that kind of environment. Yeah, for sure. And or creating that, you know, I picked out two specific lyrics that I wanted to highlight. Um, and I think that these two speak to the kind of dichotomy of the track. Um, the first one is kind of on that more sinister side. It's, it's from the first verse. Special Ed says it. It's right as he come in, comes in. He says, panic as another manic depressant. Adolescent stares at death. Now what's left when there ain't no God and a whole lot of pride? It might be a homicide. So let the drama slide. We don't want no problems, B. Get your name in the obituary column seat. Because life is too short and it just gets shorter. I wish I had a quarter for all my people they slaughter. So that was what they came in on the song with. And, you know, I've always loved that line when he pauses and just says, you know, get your name in the obituary column sheet. I always thought that was such a great flex, but also something that's kind of just dark and talking about what's really going on in Brooklyn during that time, that that can happen at any time. Yeah, Um, I mean, it's not the most subtle, but it's definitely a creative way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's real talk. I mean, it's definitely... Brooklyn, for sure. I mean, or I should say, you know, certain areas of Brooklyn, um, you know, and they're, and they're definitely, I, again, I think it's a dope track. I, I, I love the song. I think that I, I love your breakdown of it because it makes me appreciate it even more. Um, and that's one thing that I'm really excited, you know, as, as this con- conversation continues to continue um, is really the breakdowns and getting to hear from you. But at the same time, 1994 had so many songs. And... <laughs> I, as much, like, so Master Ace, like, phenomenal. Buckshot, like, the, every, the whole, it's, everybody's fucking dope. Dude, Master Ace's line, sticks and stones, while I kick some ancient poems through your domes is quite possibly, I'm not going to rap them. <laughs> um, he said that. That's hilarious. Yeah. My favorite is Buckshot, when he's like, do or die, I'm saying it's you and I, bring a click so we can get stone like family sly. Like <laughs> <laughs> Sly and the family stone. So that's that mm-hmm. 70s reference. Mm-hmm. And yep. the other one that I picked out for that 70s reference was, it feels so good to be a crooklyn dodger. Uh-huh. What's happening to rerun and Roger? I yep. think I see him wearing Timberlands and running down the block from Dwayne. And Dwayne had a Glock because he'd be selling rock to the Partridge family. And Ruben Kincaid drives a 300E. And he'd be pimping Christy from Three's Company. Plus, he stuck Mr. T for all his jewelry. Yep. Like, how many 70s references can you put in I right there? I was cracking up whenever he it's was so rapping good. at like, that <laughs> is That is one of the most efficient ways to get all the references you need. Just all the yeah, references right is. in that. That bit and it's so funny and like I mean I have no idea most of those references I went back and looked them up but mm. like for someone who grows up in the 70s I know that like oh, all yeah. those are just hallmarks so what's, what's happening, happening the Partridge family like Mr. T from the A team like <laughs> yep. just all these yep. shows and um, for some company. reason it was when he yeah. when he referenced Mr. T I was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's hilarious like I, like I love it against it. and it also captures. You know, because hip hop was also born in '73, so it captures the what was what you could have just turned on the TV and seen, or what was in the cultural ethos uh, at the same time that the culture was born too. Um, even though this song was from '94, yeah, it also just like I don't know, it just has like for some reason I feel like songs from like the ni- like hip hop from the '90s had so much more character to them, just than just uh, just a lot more funky, just a lot more I don't know, they just 
felt a little more raw too, just sort of with him as well. I think what you don't get a lot nowadays is you don't get a lot of the DJs and the scratching. So, you know, that is one that thing too. that I really mm-hmm. wanted to highlight yeah. from this song is the chorus, mm-hmm. which is just two samples scratched together. So it's from Black Moon's Who Got the Props. They say straight from Crooklyn, better known as Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then right after that, Classic Gangstar. Yeah, the Gangstar, the place where we dwell. Yep. Never talking shorts because Brooklyn's the borough. <laughs> and then it goes right in and, you know, that kind of scratching in the chorus and mm-hmm. it sh- it shows up a lot in my list mm-hmm. honestly like a yeah, lot of same. my songs have that scratched yep. chorus not yep. like a traditional one yep. um and so happy when they tried to include that in rock <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of my songs do. I mean a lot of songs in the era do too because you got DJ Premier doing DJ that. Premier is huge Pete Rock, Pete Rock is exactly. doing that you, and for this Q-Tip who's also doing stuff with and, Nas, Ali, and Ali all Shahid, of them yeah. also so all not only did all of them produce their own stuff and have that going so again is this being one example but then they're also doing everybody like it, it, it's it, like so they're all on Illmatic mm-hmm. they're all I don't actually I don't know if Pete I don't think Pete Rock is but uh, Primo is definitely on um, Ready to Die. Mm-hmm. Easy Mo B is on Ready to Die. Like, mm-hmm. it, like and so like these and Easy Mo B had done Ready to Die coming off of working with Miles Davis on Miles Davis's last album. Well, that's a crazy back to back. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, all the producers from this era are absurd, and I think this is where production really took a leap. Not specifically this year, but like in this region of like 92 and onwards where you get Jizza coming into the game, mm-hmm. who is huge. And he didn't release anything in 94, not officially anyway. There's probably something, but, you know, Jizza, you got DJ Premier, Pete Rock, like we talked about, mm-hmm. like all these incredible producers that's elevating the music. Yep. And that's forcing the MCs to really step up their game that they got to match it mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this is such a great collaboration. Um so I know this is kind of in the middle of the list, and I and I don't know as much in terms of the song, but I kind of I, I was curious about this because you just kind of touched on something about everyone trying to basically up each other, just sort of that competition level. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in feeling it just is kind of lacking nowadays? Like, th- yeah, there's like some I feel like they'll, you know, they're making diss tracks here and there, but it just felt like this had a different hunger to it, sort of in in at least in this time period in the '90s. I could be wrong. No, I mean, I think that in this time period, you get a certain type of rapping. You know, they call them braggadocio verses, where it's just like talking mm-hmm. about how great you are. And mm-hmm. I think that nowadays you still get them like, you know, all the Run the Jewels songs have aspects of that. Not all. A lot of Run the Jewels mm-hmm. songs have aspects of that. Um, I think one of the problems with like disses and beef is things got really real around this time period. So like well, everyone yeah. realized these disses and beefs are not really cool. Um, I think the other thing is at this point in time, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like disses and beefs were like the thing that would, that made the nineties, but it just felt like, I don't know. It just felt like there was a, like a lot more in terms of com- competition between like all these, like you said, there are so many. Yeah. It's like, so when, so I hear what you're saying. So like when Kendrick called out every rapper on control, yep. And maybe one or two responded. Oh yeah, shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, like Big Sean. Like Big Sean's a beast of an MC, but like yeah. he responds, you know, veiledly. I don't, I don't know if there's anything direct or not, but there, there wasn't really that many direct shots back. And so, like, you know, to somebody, you know, who's like, I'm about to be the king of this shit, 
and I'm but I'll challenge any one of you, and then there's not really that much of a pushback back. Like I, I hear <laughs> so what you're saying because would that have flown in '94? Well, that's that's part of no. The- I feel like it absolutely <laughs> would. Like, and and that's like the limited knowledge that I have of it. But like, yeah. I just don't think yeah. it would have. No, and I, that, that that was actually the other point I was getting to. As I feel like at this point in time, there are two rappers that are so far ahead of everybody else in skill the game. Wise or skill wise, success wise, skill wise. I think success wise, like there's a lot of people who are on that level. But as far as like rapping skill goes, I think mm-hmm. you have Kendrick and I think you have J Cole on a whole nother level above most others. And I think Kendrick is probably even above J Cole. Um, and you know, there's lots of popular people you know Quavo Migos all those uh, Future but I don't think as far as a technical rapper goes they can't really challenge Kendrick in that way in terms of like technical lyrical flow yes Kendrick and J. Cole are in a master class of MC without question would I say that they're the only two who exist in that echelon that are putting out material right now no like Jay Z is alive. Well, true. <laughs> Lil Wayne is alive. And just put out a record. Eminem EP maybe is alive. That's true. But I also think that Nas is alive. <laughs> no doubt. You're you're absolutely right. And so I I guess I should qualify it that all of those are kind of the old heads established legends that also kind of seem in an untouchable realm. Like. Mm-hmm. They've established themselves. They've put in their dues. They're not the young and hungry rappers really anymore. I mean, part of it is what I mentioned before that a lot of the younger rappers aren't interested in all that. Like, you know, Pusha T tried to start some shit with Young Thug and Young Thug's excellent. He but did start some shit with Drake. Yeah. and But like he tried to start some shit with Young Thug and Young Thug was like, nah, I'm not really interested. <laughs> right. And it's, it's I think I think it's just a different it's just a different time too. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have that. I think everyone's competitive and everyone wants to, there's enough know. room for everybody to eat now. Exactly. With, with SoundCloud like, and the internet, like and everyone see, like, has think about too, Like in the nineties, you're still fighting to be like, yo, hip hop is fucking valid. Now hip hop runs shit. So it's just like, it's, all right, it well, the musical <laughs> platform, yes, it runs shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's just like, all right, well like now you don't have to like, you're not fighting for the, acceptance of its its existence it's now just like all right where do i sit in the room like even though we've said tangent a couple of times it leads it's a direct road into my number five song all right so what is i knew exactly what i was fucking doing (laughs) not for real because we're talking about you know basically a a group of mcs and seeing who can outdo one another Mm -hmm. on a track um so for me i ended up picking a song that i think not only was it uh, a legitimate banger. My Bluetooth makes the cutest sounds. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it really does. The Bluetooth is the fourth member of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Hal and fucking Space Odyssey. But um, <laughs> super <laughs> great reference. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I ended up picking um, a song that I think represents that that collective hunger um, for a lot of young MCs in the moment too. In uh, Craig Max Flavor in the Air remix. <laughs> Great fucking song. Great fucking choice. Puffy just had to find a way to insert himself in. Oh, it's 1994. <laughs> it's, it's 1994 with Bad Boy shit. Entertainment. I know. This is, the, this is the beginning of Bad Boys. We 
know it, literally. And then you think about Revolt, think about Ciroc, you think about Aqua Hydrate, you know. He's done well. <laughs> like, the, the Diddy Empire wouldn't exist. I, well, it wouldn't exist without Uptown Records, but it wouldn't exist without Bad Boy. And both Craig Mack and Big came out on the same back-to-back with the original Flavor in Your Ear, followed by... Um, Biggs, uh, fucking, I don't even know what track it was off the top of my head. Um, I don't know if it was Everyday Struggle or one of the tracks is definitely on Ready to Die. But any which mm-hmm. way, um, Craig Mack's original flavor in the year, like, is like my personal, my one of my favorite hip hop songs of all time. So I chose this song because, like, so it, it is a personal favorite, like, right, you know, okay. Um, like my dad and I can rap this song word for word together, but, uh, the the song is just an absolute banger. Like I mentioned, yeah. Easy Mo B earlier, he produced this track. Mm. Um, he produced the first six songs on Ready to Die like in a row. Um, and you know, again, coming off of working with Miles Davis and you know, still being a hip hop head and a hip hop producer, that's the reason why Miles recruited him uh, for the Doobop album. But um, you know, here he is, you know, crafting something with Bad Boy's first artist, which is Craig Mack. And so Craig Mack puts out flavor in your ear. It's an absolute banger. And like it also is the template for the group like remix. The posse track. Like right. yeah, like so we had like Crooklyn Dodgers as a posse track, but like <laughs> as far as like making remixes and bringing everybody on the remix, there wasn't really like that before this song. Yeah, like, so yeah. That 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 was one thing that I wanted to talk about is this this posse track remix idea because you know Flavor in Years sets a template for so many songs. And, you know, one of my personal favorites recently is the Huzzah remix by Mr. Motherfucking Esquire, <laughs> where he brings out that is wow. one of my Except favorite fucking songs. Reference, though. Mr. Motherfucking Esquire, yo, my shout out to my homie Derek. Yo, he put me on to Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Yo, like his last album, ago. like <laughs> his last album, yeah. too. Oh, shit. No. And I mean, it, it's got the same exact reference. And it's, you know, the the 40s at the beginning. And it's breast milk. You made my day. <laughs> and, you know, it also reminds yeah. me of like ASAP Rocky's One Train, where he brings on Dude. Kendrick and yeah. Joey Badass yep. and yep. Yellow Wolf and everyone else. And, you know, this song, Flavor in Your Remix, is mm-hmm. the template for all of mm-hmm. those types of songs that come after that. And you know, speaking about the intro, as far as, you know, Diddy taking the two bottles and being right, like, yeah, right. So, uh, Easter Egg, that I don't even think was in, it, damn sure, I, I, I would put money on it that it's not even intentional, is, so that I, that's obviously a play on, from the Warriors. The Warriors. Where yeah. Warriors come out and play. The Warriors movie... The premise of that film, as far as this peacekeeper amongst the gang members gets murdered, right. and ulti- and and then this story ensues. That is a true story that created hip hop culture. It is the story that created hip hop culture. So Benji, Black Benji, uh, his name was Cornell Benjamin. They called him Black Benji. He was a member of the Ghetto Brothers. The Ghetto Brothers was a gang in the Bronx, one of the biggest gangs in the Bronx. But they are also very political. They were members of the Puerto Rican, the Puerto Rican Socialist Party. Um, they were all teenagers, but they were all you know about it, and they were a band too. They had a rock band, but they had a peacekeeper in the gang. His name was Black Benji. They called him because the leader of the gang was uh, Benjamin Melendez. They called him Yellow Benji because he was Puerto Rican. Okay. Black Benji was black, so right. just made it, that's how they diversified them <laughs> or, or <laughs> they, they made distinguished uh, them. But um. 
any which way. So Black Benji went to a park uh, in Manhattan. I think it might be like Morningside. I forget which park it was exactly, but um, he ends up getting killed by three other gangs. And that his murder is in the New York Times. It's covered. Right. And uh, ultimately, the rest of the Ghetto Brothers are attempting to try to put together a piece uh, because they're, you know, figure, so first it was like, we're going to retaliate and go to war. Right, but then it was like, right. like they talked with Black Benji's mother and she was like, no, my son died for peace. Right. And so they were like, all right, well, we're going to turn this into a truce. And so on December 2nd, 1971, uh, they met at the Ho Avenue Boys and Girls Club and they signed a truce. And it was, it's, it's news, right. CBS, all the motherfuckers were there. And, they, and so it's like you can just go and see the actual footage and see the actual conversations right. that these gang members are having. They ultimately signed a truce. And that truce, them literally putting down their weapons and coming together, th- they allowed for people to, instead of it being like, I can't come to your block, you can't come to my block, it's you can come to my block, I can come to your block. We're actually, we're throwing this party. We're doing this, we're doing that. And those right. block parties were the incubators for everything that we know is hip hop culture today. Right, because that's where the DJs, the breakbeats, dancing, yep. that's where that all started. Everything. And then the yep. MCs started to come from those Absolutely. same block parties. Right? Speaking of Jamaica, talking about big, also the, the MC came from just the, the tradition of toasting in Jamaica. And so that's what, so DJ Cool Herc threw the first hip-hop party, August 11th. Uh, it was a, I think it was like 1973 also. Um, but it was August 11th, and he had a block party at... Uh, Sedgwick Avenue in the rec room of his apartment building. It was a back to school party. And that was the first hip hop party, but he's Jamaican. Mm-hmm. And so his name was DJ Cool Herc or DJ Cool Hercules because he was big as hell and he always had these right. big ass speakers <laughs> with him. But uh, his, you know, Jamaican culture was like, you know, every time he was rocking a party, he would get people up on the mic and be like, yo, come on the mic and keep the crowd going. Just that toasting culture in Jamaica. And that's what birthed the MC. Master so, of ceremonies, right? So Diddy's clinking of them bottles is a little hat tip to the Warriors, which ah. is actually based on the origin of hip hop culture or the incident that created hip hop culture. And you said that was purposeful, or you don't know what was? Oh, that, hey, of Diddy clinking the bottles and and just that link in itself. Yeah. No, I don't think it was purposeful at all. Okay. I just think it was like the Warriors is dope as shit. Oh, and we're gonna do that. I mean, the Warriors is dope as shit for sure. Right. I <laughs> thought you were actually giving Puffy credit to that. But. <laughs> no, I was just um, saying. I was just telling you the Easter egg that I noticed with it. Right. Man. And also, uh, it's a great song to kick off the top because it's not only a hat tip to the origin of hip hop right. culture if you're digging far enough, but then it's just a banger um, that deservedly needs to be in the top five. Absolutely. I mean. You know, things just young don't bust get the rhymes dude yeah, and that's the thing i barely noticed his memorable voice memorable lines all <laughs> over the place like <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah biggie's opening line which i can't repeat is just <laughs> it's <geez>. it is <laughs> coming in shooting i get more butt flames. than ashtrays yeah like. <laughs> i really love when he says disappear vamoose you're whack to me yep like yeah his flow in that <laughs> exactly the flow it, it, big dude. flow is phenomenal um, um, yeah, it, you don't think you, in terms of like the origins of hip hop, you just don't things you don't see things being resolved like that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also black even, parties, and there's like random stuff too. So it's like you have LL Cool J, right? Def Jam's first signee, obviously big heavyweight. But you have a rookie Biggie, 
you have a rookie Craig Mack, and you have not necessarily a rookie, but a very young Busta Rhymes also on the track. Mostly yeah. underground doing stuff with the with, um, Native Tongues crew. And, with and uh, leaders and, of the new school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, but and and also just hat tips to and and working with people. So you have you know Easy Mo B making the beat, and he was working with Miles Davis. Nice. Busta Rhymes had just come off working with James Brown on the Universal James album. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, That's leaders wild. of the new school is featured on James Brown's one of James Brown's final albums, if not his final album. Wow. Uh, Universal James. And Busta Rhymes is rapping on there twice on two different songs. I thought they just brought him on the screen. There's one song called, the best song is called Can't Get Any Harder. Um, but yeah, that's just a Dude. side note. But the other guy rapping on this track though, Rampage, mm. he was with Busta's crew. He just was rolling with Busta that day, going to the studio, and it was going to just be Big, Craig Mack, LL, and Busta Rhymes on the track. And Diddy was looking at Rampage like, well, you're not going to get on the song too? And Rampage was <laughs> like, I'm going to write something right Man, just jumps on the booth in, and that's kind of that's pretty also dope. now a member of history. So that's yeah. also just a great story. Yeah, um, dude. I, but that one, that, that, I, what is? I, I'm assuming this sample is like, uh, uh, like that. Just that mm-hmm. back and forth. That like, that is hypnotic. That is just such. I love that. And, and I'm I'm the type of person like hearing like so sort of that one note and everything revolving around it. So just like hearing that constant is just so good. Yeah, the beat the beat is incredible for this. Easy Mo B, <laughs> phenomenal producer, underrated producer. Um, anything else on Flavor in the Air, the remix? Uh, I mean, overall, I just think that you know Craig Mack is an MC that you know rest in peace to Craig Mack, um, but he's an MC that I think you know you know, should have got his flowers more while he was alive, and you know if anything lives on uh, from him, you know this song is definitely something that you know people will be playing forever absolutely you know this was like i said i i made a lot of difficult cuts and this was absolutely one of them i was having such a hard time leaving this off because as far as like a banger and a party song like i don't think there's any other song from 1994 that i go to more like i'm playing flavor in the ear um it's incredible incredible choice (laughs) very very well done all right so number four and you know, I actually want to talk a little bit before I introduce which song I chose, um, because this record is very important to me and this artist is very important to me. So, you know, when I knew we were doing 1994, I knew I wanted to choose something from Common, then Common Sense, his mm-hmm. album Resurrection. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I knew I wanted to choose a song from that. I wasn't totally sure which one yet. And I knew I wanted to pick that because Common is one of the main artists that not got me into hip hop, but made me appreciate hip hop and made me want to learn more about hip hop. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2005, I was 18 years old, about to um, graduate high school, going into college. And I heard B his, his, you know, fourth or fifth album uh, at that point. And B was incredible to me. And when I got that, I was like, Oh shit, common's been around forever you know, been around since 1992. And so I started to go back through his records and Mm -hmm. back through his catalog. And, you know, I went to like water for chocolate and the sixth sense was on there, which is one of my all time favorite songs. Um, I love the sixth sense so Mm -hmm. much. And then, you know, I kept going back and I eventually landed on resurrection. And I was like, Oh man, this is, this is an absolute 
absolutely incredible album and it hit all the things you know conscious hip-hop which i was really into i mm -hmm. loved talib most deaf and yep. you know common was a huge part of that and i think there were three songs from this that i was deciding between um there was orange pineapple juice which that west coast inspired beat um i really love and you know is one of his kind of darker songs but still is common and you know there's a lot of flourishes from common that you don't get on many other tracks he's like you want to mess with me, you pussy MC? And that's not like, that's not at all a common thing, <laughs> but he does that on that like track. Right, right. Um, so Especially whenever he's rapping, while going his hand like this. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, you don't see that a lot. And then the other one, I wanted to pick the, the title track, Resurrection, the piano on that song. And, you know, it's it's an interpretation from Dolphin Dance by Ahmad Jamal. Yeah, such um, a great Dolphin Dance and it's oh my god like that piano and then just this incredibly smooth bass line just like velvet and then you know Common's doing this fast paced associative lyrics just like going everywhere mm -hmm. and I absolutely love Resurrection and I was like oh man I gotta pick that mm -hmm. and then I was like nah I, it can't be either of those if I'm gonna pick from something from Resurrection it has to be I Used to Love Her so my number four pick is Common Sense, I Used to Love Her from the album Resurrection. Did you say that? Yeah. I've been to that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So... Uh, sorry, I was talking okay. about Steve's fade out skills. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what part you would edit out, but yeah, that yeah, love that song. That's an amazing song. Yeah, so I mean, I think for those that are unfamiliar, and I mean, Beam, this included you until about five minutes well, ago. It, no, it was more the reference of the fact that it was all about hip hop, and you're like hearing all these things. You're like, Psh, shit. Right. No. So you well, know, I mean, I know that he says right at the end, but. No, so for those who are unfamiliar, like Beam was five minutes ago, you know, this song is an extended allegory um, in which Common uses the story of a young, beautiful girl who he fell in love with when he was young, um, but then they eventually drift apart, drift apart because she begins to change and kind of gets more attracted to images and gimmicks, as he says in the song. Um, but then what he reveals in the last line and and I'm going to take it back, hoping that that shit stop because who I'm talking about is hip hop. So, you know, the whole she in this song is hip hop music. So the whole thing is a reflection on his own relationship with hip hop music. Um, and I think that it's such a smart thing that he does with this. And it's such a different thing. You know, I think this falls into the category of a nostalgic rap song which there's a lot of them and they're really good ones you know from this year i thought about ahmad lewis's back in the day yeah. i i love the that remix. song yeah it's so good the remix is incredible i also you know what came to mind was tupac's old school one of my mm. favorite songs from uh, me against the world i was gonna say was that 94 if it was 94 it would be on mine i think because <laughs> i love that song right. but it's it's from 95 yeah. and but what both of those songs are is they're just kind of wistful, more positive, you know, uplifting songs about mm -hmm. it. And what's different about I Used to Love Her is it's a reckoning and it's a real battle about 
the changing nature of hip hop and whether this thing that he fell in love with is the same and Mm -hmm. you know what to do with that and it's not you know some people might think oh this is just a grumpy rapper you know saying everything was better in my day but that's not what this is at all you know this is an honest observation observation and him just trying to contextualize it for himself Mm -hmm. and just working through that on on a song and I love that fact that it is so thoughtful and is so observational, as you mm-hmm. said, you know, about the state of hip hop and where he fits into it. Yeah. You know, that's that's what this song is about. And it's not a grumpy old man thing. It's yeah. not at all. It's just, you know, where do I fit in in this thing that I fell in love with? And I, I love that about it. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it, too. I mean, it's it's such a. I think it, it, I don't know, you know, this is probably its whole other list, but I, it, it has an argument for being like the quintessential, like nostalgia song, regardless of what you're being nostalgic about, um, in the way in which it, this is just done so creatively. I mean, because you can legitimately think that he's talking about this woman, uh, you know, that he knows in his neighborhood or, and, and, and you know, it's written in such a way that it, it can, it, it's, it's an excellent metaphor. Yeah, I mean, except the part that felt like a little graphic where a couple guys did her in the park, and I was just like, oh, all right. But now, knowing that it's about rap, it felt... That's where hip-hop started. A little a little less park. visceral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, and also, you gotta definitely give credit to No ID on the beat, too. No ID is um, incredible. Oh, shit. Amazing. I've at least I at least know have known of him or at least no know ideas. sort of like his references. Uh, he's another under you know I mean, obviously he's a legend, but if you you know go to the average music you know listener and is walking down the street, be like, oh, do you know of No ID? They might not, which is unfortunate. But um, if they heard a song, they'd know the song. They just didn't yep, know No ID I mean, did it. Jay Z's entire four forty four. Right. So much of Logic's catalog. Um, like it's just like no, no idea Big Sean he's d- worked with like it's just you know in addition to Common and everybody else I mean yeah. it's just um, yeah so no idea really gave you know a, a musical landscape for Common to really you know create with whatever he wanted um, and he was able to do something that you know it's it's really artistic and I think that ultimately like it's something that's inspiring like because my even myself as an artist like I, I listened when I first learned of you know or relearned because uh, it was after I had first heard the song but relearned you know the song probably in my early 20s um, I rewrote um, a version of it of my own like of my own observation of hip-hop and it was my own ode you know as hip-hop being this woman um, and, and you know it was it, you know this song is, is is a blueprint for so many um, other artists too did you talk about it in a bitter way as he sort of did? Uh, well, were, nostalgic, they're, they're, they're but they're then turned slightly uh, bitter. Yeah, there, there, there are moments in the song. The song's called See You Sometime. And yeah, it, it, it has its moments of, you know, you know, where, where she, you know, definitely strayed away or at least was, you know, ha- you know, hanging in spheres that I wasn't really uh, aligned with. Um, so, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, you know, my love for her is indefinite. <laughs> you know, she's still with me to this day. So, not for sure. And you know, there was two lines that I really wanted to just point out because I think it shows what we're talking about in terms of kind of a person who is just observing what it is. And 
one of them's from the second verse where he says, and I'm not going to wrap this one because I can't, I can't mimic his, his no, no, flow. No. no, do it. <laughs> she got into R&B, hip hop, bass and jazz. Now black music is black music and it's all good. I wasn't salty. She was with the boys in the hood because that was good for her. She was becoming well-rounded. I thought it was dope that she was on that freestyle shit. So on the one hand, he's appreciating the fact that things are broadening and becoming more well-rounded. But at the same time, it's starting to go a different way. And so he says on the flip side in the third verse, talking about popping glocks, serving rocks and hitting switches. Now she's a gangster rolling with gangster bitches, always smoking blunts and getting drunk, telling me sad stories. Now she only funks with the funk, stressing how core, how hardcore and real she is. She really was the realest before she got into showbiz. And I really love how he kind of juxtaposes those two things. Like, I love that you're going to the West coast. I love that you're becoming a different type of thing, but I really don't like how I don't like the things that you're talking about now. And I wish you were talking about something and, you know, common was always big on the Afrocentricity piece. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he feels like while things getting more broad, that losing track of that message is the problem here. I think that there's like, so overall, like I, I definitely agree with you. I think that there's like, it's so much to try to compress and, and to try to run uh, a narrative. That's like to try to keep the metaphor the entire way through and offer parallels uh, between, you know, what is reality and then how to tie it into what could be a woman's life. Like, I definitely like, first First of all, shout out to <laughs> talking out that line as opposed to trying to rap it, because first of all, Common fucks that flow up. Tri- he trips and falls all over that part in that song. So, yeah. like, th- th- there's no way that anybody can emulate that <laughs> properly. Like, <laughs> the black music is black music. And like, he's trying to shove so much into right. a tempo. It's like, come on, man. Um, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, nonetheless, um, uh, like, I-, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think that I- they- there aren't, that many standout lines for me. Probably the most standout line is at the end where he's like, you know, and who we all, who I'm talking about is hip hop because up until that line, he, he doesn't have like it could just as easily not be. Yeah. And so that's the biggest takeaway I think for me, and that's why like if I were if I were to include this in my top five, um, it would be for its creativity and you know what it offers as far as. You know, again, for so many of uh, songs that could be in the top five, and especially in a top five of a genre that's only twenty-one years old, it's a template. Yeah. Like, like so much music at this time is going to be a template for things to come, and so that that's why I think that you know it definitely you know I can I can see why you would have included that you know in your top five. Yeah, for sure, and I think I think what you just touched on is that it's that conceptual creativity that puts it in, and the one the one question I did have and I wanted to ask you is, you know excuse me is is this song better if he doesn't include that line and it's more left ambiguous as to well this is a metaphor but i'm not going to just explain it to you, you i know? don't think so no he needs to include that because i feel like the part of it for me because you, like, you wouldn't realize the metaphor throughout is so perfect i think mm-hmm. that like it's so you well, wouldn't know. well no it's so well executed yeah like that's the thing it's, it's it makes it believable and 
like I fucking had it here. We had to replay it where I was like, oh shit, this is about rap. This is about hip hop. And mm-hmm. like, you know, so I I feel like if if he didn't convey that where it's like, oh, you know, open up to interpretation or something like that, or you know, that there was at least a meaning behind it. Yeah, it just it, otherwise I feel like it's like, oh, yeah, that's a, a I guess an interesting story about a girl you loved. Cool. <laughs> right. Like other other than that, like No, it's not a special song if it's not for that. Right. If it's not about hip hop, it's right. not a, it's not a special song not except at all. for then No ID's production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> In terms of relying <laughs> on the lyrics at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.